Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to this, the first Andy Avalos, Boise State Football Edition of the Kingdom of Pod. Jeff Caves here in Flower Mound, Texas on the Believe Podcast Network. Want to get into the details about what this new regime for Boise State may mean, what it may look like. Uh, also, we'll talk about the differences between the way Andy's taking over the program and what Brian Harson inherited uh, from Chris Peterson. Uh, some of the budget issues at Boise State and how Andy Avalos may be looking at it. And then Carl Benson, the former commissioner of several conferences. We need to be reminded Carl was the sort of the godfather of group of five commissioners. He was the commissioner at the MAC. He moved from there over to the WAC and then to the Sun Belt Conference. So tremendous experience. And we're going to talk about 16-team conferences, uh, the future of the group of five, uh, certainly the future of the Mountain West, uh, what kind of expansion could we expect for the American Athletic Conference and what it may all mean if we could ever get to a bunch of conferences at, at 16. So we'll do that uh, with Carl Benson. But of course, a lot of the attention's been all about Andy Avalos and where everybody is at on this. And I think the first thing that struck me is that this is going to be a popular hire uh, for, for a lot of reasons. Andy is a very personable person. He doesn't seek to avoid interactions with, with people. I think he looks forward to them, and I, underst- I think he understands his limits, though, because he has tasks that he has to perform. So those that have come into touch with Andy – uh, look forward to those kinds of relationships, and I think that's going to serve Boise State well from a public relations perspective as this thing continues to unwind. But, you know, one of the first things that helps everybody understand this change of command and this change of leadership for Boise State football is really comparing to whoever has the job now to how who had it before. And let, let's go back to... Brian Harson's tenure at Boise State, he was coming from Arkansas State where he was a head football coach for only one year. He had left Boise State for Texas where he was the co-offensive coordinator, pretty much the offensive coordinator and play caller. And he comes back replacing Chris Peterson who had meant all things to everybody really at Boise State and in the football program and many other departments on campus. A likable person, a, a living legend, if they could have erected a statue to Coach Pete, nobody would have gotten in the way of that. And, and so that's the kind of popular figure that Brian Harson was replacing. Additionally, not only was Pete well-liked, but he won a tremendous amount of football games. So he had the killer combination of what you'd like in a head football coach. Uh, one thing Pete, I think, uh, did as well that was different in that 
You know, Pete went to a West Coast school at the University of Washington, and so a lot of the assistant coaches that were on the Boise State staff at that time saw it as an opportunity to further their own careers by going with Coach Peterson to the University of Washington. You know, in the case of what's going on here with Harson headed off to Auburn in the SEC, it's a different animal where Coach Hars more than likely feels like he needs a lot of people with experience in recruiting, specifically in those Southeastern Conference markets, the Floridas and Georgias and Alabamas. So that's one big switch, and the number of assistant coaches that may be available to Andy Avalos to stay on the Boise State staff versus what Coach Harson had to deal with when he came in to replace Coach Pete. And in fact, when you look at that, Andy Avalos is a coach that stayed behind, uh, took over the linebacker. Scott Huff took that opportunity to become the offensive line coach for Coach Harson. Of course, he ultimately left, but that's it. I mean, everybody else off of that staff with Pete took off. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying that's different, and that's a different situation. It's a different opportunity for Andy Avalos, who's got many more assistant coaches that are still on staff at a salary number Boise State can afford with the kind of talent and expertise with the kids that everybody would want, all things being equal. So I think Andy has a better selection of assistant coaches who aren't going to be going on to Auburn than what Coach Harson had when Coach Pete took off. Believe it or not, we are getting so close to the Super Bowl and really the NFL and gambling go hand in hand. It's right around the corner. So if you want to place a bet on any of the sports, not only just the Super Bowl or the playoffs coming up, betonline.ag is the only place to lock it in. Hey, uh, I think when you think about having a little extra uh, fun in, in a game that you don't really have a rooting interest in, uh, go out and get some Put some action down. Take a couple of points or give some points, and you'll find all the game spreads, the totals uh, to the team, the player, the coaching props, all at Bet Online. You get more options to wager than any place else. So betonline.ag, get there today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. That's betonline.ag, and sign up today. We'll get to how Andy Avalos is dealing with the budget issues that uh, – are sort of hanging over the football program in just a moment. But let's take a look at this staff, and not only the, the guys that are on staff or were an opportunity for Andy Avalos to hire, but what about just the condition of the program? Remember that Coach Pete really had struggled that last year. The team did as well with five losses. And this was even before the Hawaii Bowl. I mean, four-loss season is not up to his standards. Uh I think that the energy was gone, and he he knew it as he later admitted that it was time really to move on. Uh, Boise State this year in a COVID season was a two-loss team with no bowl, but they would have went to a pretty decent bowl. They played for the conference championship, something that Boise State in 2013 uh, did not do. When it comes to starters, uh, Coach Pete left behind 13 starters. Coach Harson has left behind 14 you, know, you want to see at, at key positions, talent left behind, specifically Boise State in 2013, left Grant Hedrick behind, who had a great year in 2014. And not only do you have Sears at Boise State, but you also have Hank uh, Bachmeyer as well. So I would say at the quarterback spot and Halani is comparable to uh, what they were getting out of Jay Ajayi at that time. 
on defense. Demetri Washington is somebody that will be coming back next season off of an injury but could be a high-impact player. Uh, Kamalea Correa was a high NFL draft pick, and he came back off of uh, the 2013 team for the 2014 team. So there's a lot of similarities there, really, in that this program, I think, was left intact very well with players returning. Now, there's a lot of different circumstances with the 2021 edition of Boise State and 2014 that are different because anybody last year that wants to come back can conceivably do so. That, that wasn't the case in 2013. They weren't being given extra years of eligibility then. So that's a, a radical difference to me. Uh, I think something that showed up for Coach Harson down the road uh, after the 2014 year, probably more uh, 2016, uh, around there, and even a little bit later, is if you go back and look at the recruiting class that Boise State had up until Pete announced he was leaving to Washington in December, it was stellar. And a lot of those kids were committed to Chris Peterson or Chris Peterson's staff, and they went with him to Washington. And there was criticism in Seattle for Pete initially because they were trying to say, you need to be stealing USC's recruits, not Boise State's. And Pete and staff, of course, were holding to their position that uh, these kids were great, and many of them proved to be just that. I mean, I remember Dante Pettis uh, was one of them, uh, a tremendous player. Greg Grimes, a defensive lineman. Uh, those two kids are in the NFL right now, just to name just a few. So I think that it's highly unlikely that Harson would be taking many Boise State recruits to Auburn. You know, it just doesn't transfer the same way. The Pete, uh, the Pete Washington transfer of power uh, was different in that you know Washington really wasn't performing at the level uh, that Auburn has. You know, Auburn's had Cam Newton won a national championship into another. You know, that's something that Washington had not done in the last ten years when Coach Pete uh, had taken over them. So two different programs going in in different directions, and now we see some of the hires starting to kick in. Uh, for, for Coach Avalos. And this is where I think, you know, his staff tarts starts taking shape. And first he went with the chief of staff that came with him. Uh, Devell Winters came with him from Oregon. He brought the strength coach, uh, Reed Kagey, with him from Oregon. And then even an intern has also come over from Oregon in the strength department. So here's that influence of, of what they were doing at Oregon in the weight room. I think Andy Avalos is going to bring some of the organizational aspects of his calendar and how he wants to run his football program on a day-to-day -day basis by letting Devell Winters run things. And that will be a shift for Boise State. Uh, Brad LaRondo was firmly in control of the calendar for Harson and this in the program and was working it for years. And there was a culture that was handed down and how things were done there and when they were done. It doesn't mean they're not going to be done as well. It doesn't mean they're not going to be done better. It just means they're going to be done different. So there's transition for anybody that works with the football program and how they are going to be doing things much differently than how they did them in the past. Let's take a look at really some of the specific hires, though, uh, that have come out and what we do know. Tim Plow, the offensive coordinator that comes over from UC Davis, amongst the most critical, really, hires 
And I think the offensive line hire will be big as well for Andy Avalos. But when you're a defensive-minded coach like Andy, you're going to have to trust somebody on the offensive side of the ball. And this is somebody that's getting great referrals from Coach Hawk and Coach Pete for Andy Avalos. And that's highly important to the Boise State football program that the offense is a prolific, creative, uh, effective, uh, sort of trend-setting, relentless group. And I'm not saying that uh, this identity is at risk, but on the other hand, uh, the identity is going to change. Uh, and while you could argue that Plow has been under the influence of Dan Hawkins at UC Davis, and so you could see some similar things that have been done at Boise State, uh, I, I don't know that it's really quite fair to, to say that this won't be a different offense. When, when you had Brian Harson, a architect of the Boise State offense, uh, before Coach Pete, with Coach Pete, and after Coach Pete, no matter who his offensive coordinator was, you always knew that he was going to have the ultimate and final authority. He even took play calling on and off. We remember that. So his hand in how Boise State's offense was run was steady and was always there. It was experienced. And you have to credit so much of the success that he was able to have at Boise State, I think, in part because of his talent in the offensive area. And this is going to be different. Will will there be the shifts in motions offense? And I don't mean that from some kind of romantic, oh, if we don't do that, we won't be successful. That has, that has nothing to do with it. it. It's all about the result that you get. And and it's, it's the identity, and so much of the conversation has been about this culture I don't think any of us should be surprised if it's a different offense that's really put on the field ultimately than what we've all seen uh, for the since not 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 Cutter necessarily, but probably more since Hawk and how things have evolved for Boise State offensively. So I just I just think that that is a very key thing to note. If it goes well, if it goes okay, and if it doesn't go well, this is not an insignificant moment in the history of Boise State football. And Andy will know what he likes and what he doesn't like, and so will Plo, and they'll figure these things out. I'm not saying they won't. I'm just commenting that this is a sharp departure for the program. And every opponent of Boise State will be having to rethink things because they will have no idea what they're necessarily going to be. A copy of last year uh, from Davis or Boise State, uh, somewhere in between, something completely different. This is going to work to Boise State's advantage. Defensively, I I think you'll just see a solid group. Spencer Danielson checking in with Andy Avalos there to work it with him. Uh, I think that goes without saying. uh, is going to be an area that fans should be very comfortable with. I don't know that there's a a style of Boise State's defense that uh, I would say has been here through the years as there's been different people coordinating that defense. defense. But one thing I would say about the Boise State defense is it's rare to me that we've had a dominant defense in 20 years without dominant defensive linemen. So that will be very important in the the recruiting, the development. You've got to get the pass rusher and – Washington's return to health uh, will be critical. Any other assistant and position coaches that are coming on, that you know, there's a lot of time will tell. 
and that's not really necessarily right now something that you can jump up and down about because uh, Andy's done his research and has his reasons on why uh, this coach or that coach has been hired, and we don't really have all of those reasons. Of course, Coach Malay coming over from Utah State is is great for somebody who's familiar with you know, preparing for Boise State and recruiting in the conference and Polynesian players and all of that, but t- time's going to tell in, in what kind of talent he has to work with, and we'll have to wait and see about that. We'll get to former Commissioner Carl Benson's thoughts on 16-team conferences. Uh, could that be in the future for the American Athletic Conference and Boise State's involvement with that as well, and what it may mean to reshape college football in a minute? But another important note that I was watching as a trend when Andy was hired as the head football coach was what kind of money would he have to work with for his assistant coaches? And uh, Coach Harson was known to have $2.3 million for his assistants. Andy's at about $2.1. Uh, coach Harson would have made about $1.95 million. Uh, as the head coach at Boise State. Andy's going to make about $1.4. Uh, Boise State's athletic department is trying to recover from a, a, the COVID-19 era, and that recovery isn't complete. So uh, that's where the money has gone. Uh, the differences in these funds aren't, aren't being... Uh, put anywhere, I'm sure, but back into their pocket or however the overall financial condition of the university looks. Uh, not totally privy to that. They're, nobody's discussing that. I do know at one point the Mountain West Conference was contemplating offering loans to schools to be able to cover their obligations and not heard of any schools taking advantage of that at this point. So you would just hope the health is there. But I would say this about that and the fact that budget for coaches is down. Uh, that's not ideal. Uh, that should be a pretty good warning to anybody that just uh, assumes Boise State has everything they need. And and I don't blame any fan or any of us for thinking that. that that's not our jobs. We just want to watch the games and enjoy it. Uh, but it, it is extremely important to those coaches. They know how important it is. But I would say that Andy took the job. He thought that that money was enough. And he felt he could make it work. He felt that they could win enough, and he took the job. So if he's happy with it and he could make it work, so be it. It, it may be difficult um, to continually stay at that number. A $50,000 uh, raise per year is better than nothing because it's in writing, but you will need much more aggressive uh, ways to, to fund the football program, uh, but that is... And, and I'm sure Jeremiah Dickey, the new athletic director, is going to have to figure all that stuff out. It's extremely complicated, though. When you look at enhancing your annual budget to pay coaches, uh, relying on booster donations to do that is not what you want to do. These are payroll obligations. You need streams of cash that are guaranteed coming through the door. That's where switching to the American Athletic comes in as a consideration. So that's just important. Uh, but Andy took it, so I think it's going to it's going to work out. It's not ideal. I'm not happy about it. I wish there was another way that that would have happened. Um, I it, it's safe to say that, of course, I would look at other priorities that wouldn't be as high as paying football coaches more money. That's a self-centered, short-sighted uh, view of things. I get that, but my interest is football, and so in the interest of football, uh, as any coach would say. I want as much money as possible, and I need more, and I need more now to stay up with the Pac-12, not worried about the Mountain West Conference. So those are just some of the considerations at play here.
Carl Vincent's the former commissioner of the WAC, which Boise State was a member of, went on to the Sembel Conference, and before the WAC, he was at the Mid-American Conference, the MAC, and joins me here on the Kingdom of Pod, Boise State Football Believe uh, Network podcast to talk about 16-team expansions, but really, we've had other news come before that. Let's deal with the breaking news, per se, Carl, that you'd be very familiar with. Uh, Pete Thamel of Yahoo has been breaking lots of news, is saying that the WAC uh, may be getting back into the football business with an FCS-level conference that would start in 2022. Abilene Christian, Dixie Tate State, Houston State, Southern Utah, Stephen F. Austin, uh, Tarleton State, Lamar, um, those types of schools, and that ultimately, you know, they'd, they'd like to get into FBS football maybe in 2027, 20, 28, 29 or something. You were the commissioner of the WAC, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, getting to 16 teams. What What are your thoughts on this move by Jeff Hurd, your former associate, and you, you know you know him? Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm happy for Jeff that he's been able to, you know, piece this uh, thing back together again. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to, you know, to, bring in schools like Boise State and Nevada to, to give it life. And, you know, in 2012, when I made the decision to leave the, the WAC, I really thought that, uh, that it was done as a football conference. And, you know, Jeff's been uh, resilient. And, uh, you know, for the last eight years now, since, since I left, he's been doing the best he can to keep it alive. And it's, uh, you know, there's so much history and so much tradition with the WAC uh, on one hand. And yet, uh, when you look at, at these schools that are now going to be, you know, having the WAC logo on their uniforms, it'll be, uh, it'll be a little awkward, but I'm, I'm happy for Jeff. You think there's a long-term play here, Carl, with maybe after the CFP's contract extensions are negotiated and all that, that we could see a change with Power 5 schools breaking off, per se, and creating another division for football, and all of a sudden the WAC could see its status elevated again? I think that'd be the only way for, for the WAC to, you know, to, to kind of get back into a, a group of conferences. Uh, who knows what, what FCS conferences uh, will look like, you know, eight to 10 years and, and what type of consolidation you, know, you mentioned, what will happen with the group of five. I think all that um, has to materialize first. I don't believe that there is a spot in the current uh, FBS CFP structure for another conference, and and I hope that 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 you know that that isn't uh, being played out there. That you know this is the first step for the WAC to get back into you know the 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 group of five or the ten. Carl, let's let's take a step now looking at something you've got a lot of experience in the sixteen team conference model. We'll talk about how. That happened with the WAC when you were there or before you were there and then right when you took over. Um, there's there's just thoughts out there that we're going to get to four 16-team conferences perhaps and then have a better tournament at the end of the year and restructure. And that would be you know 64 teams, which makes some sense, but you understand the politics of it. That would be eliminating a commissioner's job and then having to combine. Is that... Is that sensible or plausible, Carl, or, 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 or is that just so difficult to unpack that it, they don't want to go there perhaps even anyway is another option. How do you look at it? 
Yeah, I think that there was a there was an attempt uh, and and successfully for each of those five conferences to you know to to grow in numbers. Um, and it I mean it started 30 years ago when the when the SEC was the first to go to 12 teams. It took almost 30 years to or 20 years, I guess 2010, for the Big Ten to finally become 12 teams. Uh, so there was an evolution in terms of the the conference structure and what was the right number. And you know, once the once the SEC went to 14 and uh, the Pac-12 tried to get to 14, Jeff, as we know, and, and couldn't get there with with just by adding Colorado and and uh, uh, and Utah got him to 12. Well, they wanted to go bigger, but they 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 really didn't have any any other schools available. You know, the SEC is is or excuse me, the ACC is you know, this year with Notre Dame. They were a 15 team, you know, conference. Good point. Uh, uh, the Pac or the Big 12 could have gotten to 16 uh, easily. The SEC could have gotten to 16 easily. The Big 12, you know, couldn't get out, couldn't get off of 10. And, and it stuck at 10. Um, so I, I don't know if there's going to be any further um, growth in, in the Power Five. You know, that idea, that model, that four, four teams of, or four conferences to 16. I don't know if we'll ever see that happen. Um, but I do believe that, you know, is there, you know, is there a case to be made for a, a 16 team American conference? And, and they would be the, the only ones in my mind today that, that have that on their radar screen or are asking the question of what, you know, what would 16 teams do for, uh, you know, for the American They're they're at 11, you know, Easy to get to 12, probably, uh, but anything larger than that, uh, do they go that way? So, Carl, when you look at the advantages to the AAC to going to 16, since you were at 16 with the WAC and this is a different time now, is it still, though, the same principles that there's strength in numbers in combining more marketplaces for the TV numbers to rise or are you trying to gather more schools that could maybe get in the New Year's Day six and have a payday for everybody? What's the strategy for expansion? What's the benefit of it? I think a couple couple uh, pieces are still in play in terms of of the value of your membership and what that does to your television contract. And and the American, you know, put their their conference together, and and Mike Oresco has done a terrific job in in putting that conference together and at the same time promoting it and marketing it and presenting it uh, as a, you know, as the best of the, of the group of five. And I think successfully. So Uh, the schools that, that he brought in UCF, you know, Houston, Cincinnati this year uh, have all delivered for him. Uh, You can, you know, you can uh, complain and, and criticize the American for this power six uh, campaign. And as the commissioner of the Sun Belt, and I know that, that you know, Craig Thompson and Judy McLeod and John Steinbrecher, um, uh, and now Keith Gill as the commissioner of the Sun Belt, probably don't like to hear that, um, that type of, of dialogue. But, you know, 
Mike did it and he had teams that, that backed it up. And, you know, is the, is the environment uh, ready for the American to make, you know, make another move to perhaps get them closer or to get them under the tent of the, of the CFP? You go back and look at your own experience of 16. It's brought up so often that, you know, that didn't work. And that's how the Mountain West started because the eight that had the money per se said, look, we don't need those other eight. And they wanted to break off and start the Mountain West. And so I don't know that it's given a, um, a bad reputation, Carl, but you tell a story about how it started in the first place. And I wonder, was it presidents that made this happen? Was it TV executives telling presidents what to think or television consultants? Because tell us about this time period in your career as the WAC commissioner when they went to 16. Uh, it was uh, totally uh, presidential driven. Uh, very little, uh, very little inclusion by the athletic directors. Uh, there was not a consultant that was giving the, the WAC presidents any advice or counsel at the time. Hmm. Uh, ESPN, which was, I mean, the WAC was one of one of ESPN's original television partners. Uh, ESPN was only telling the the WAC at the time that if you get to 12 teams, we will give you X amount of money for a championship game, and and that was the driving force mm -hmm. was to get to 12 teams and to to be able to cash in financially on what a 12 team league and what a, a football championship game uh, would hold. Uh, and at that time, 1994, the SEC had a championship game. They were, the only, they were the only conference that had a championship game at the time. The Big 12 was created by the demise of the Southwest Conference to become the Big 12. They were planning to do a, a championship game. So the WAC was the third conference to want to to get to 12 even. Right. and there was a an abundance of inventory there were teams that got left out of the southwest conference uh demise so there was an inventory of teams there were some independents with with uh tulsa and louisiana tech were independents and when the WAC put out this notice that they wanted to get to 12 teams they were flooded with, with applications and inquiries from, from schools. And as they went through this process, and at the same time, uh, you know, my, my predecessor was, had already announced his retirement. Uh, the presidents were without any, any commissioner leadership. And they went down this path of hiring a new commissioner and trying to grow and expand their conference. What was their goal? And went from the, the, well, yeah, the original the original goal was twelve. Well, how'd they and go to sixteen then? Well, there's a there's a a little bit of a of a joke or humor in it is that you know they wanted to get to twelve, and you know ten presidents in the room, you know they couldn't agree they couldn't agree on two, so they decided to add six. <laughs> I mean that's I mean that that. It's kind of how it happened. And, uh, you know, the, the day that I interviewed uh, was April of, you know, late April of, of uh, 1994. The three finalists for the commissioner job were all sitting commissioners. I was the sitting commissioner of the, of the, of the Mid-American Conference. Craig Thompson 
was the sitting commissioner of the Sunbelt Conference, was one of the, the finalists. Oh, wow. and Ron Stevenson, Ron Stevenson, the longtime commissioner of the Big Sky Conference that that uh, is well known in Boise is sure. one of Lyle Smith's one of Lyle Smith's associate athletic directors back in the days when I was a, a student athlete at Boise State. Ron Stevenson was the commissioner of the Big Sky Conference. And and the three of us interviewed on that day and and we all knew what the agenda was. The agenda was what what two teams you know are you know should the should the WAC invite? And you know, Craig and I, you know, commiserate now on that discussion. And and when they you know suggested that, you know, what do you think about 16? Um, you know, he and I both agree that, you know, our reaction was, uh, are you sure? But uh ultimately, you know, they had they had eight to ten teams on their list, Jeff. And uh, you know, I was I was pretty pretty vocal that I didn't think that some of the teams were worthy. And, and uh, again, the, the original, the easiest, the easiest way to get to 12 teams was to get two teams from the big West conference, UNLV, you know, and Nevada Boise state 1994 was still, still FCS. Right. So they weren't even on, they weren't even on the board at right. the time. And um, I think my, you know, my original, suggestion for the top two would be to stay within the footprint and and take the two Nevada schools, UNLV and, and, uh, and Nevada Reno. Uh, you know, after that TCU SMU were available, Rice was available, Tulsa was available, uh, San Jose state was available. And, you know, and at the end of the day, uh, you know, the six schools that were taken were, uh, were UNLV and San Jose state, San Jose state over, Nevada, right? Uh, Nevada was left out. Uh, TCU, SMU, and Rice, and uh, and Tulsa were the six that, that ultimately came in. Totally, totally TV driven. Thinking that to bring in six schools in those markets—Dallas, Houston, San Francisco, UNL—you know, Las Vegas at the time. I mean, it the numbers. The numbers that the WAC had in front of them for, you know, three or four years was astonishing. Sixteen schools in, in, you know, major markets: San Diego, Bay Area, you know, Houston, Dallas, uh, Salt Lake City, Denver. Not, uh, I mean, it, it was a, it was a, it was a TV made, TV made conference that, uh, that uh, I finally realized didn't take long that. There's a difference between bringing a market to a conference and delivering that market. Yeah. And uh, let me ask you this: those those markets were never were never delivered. If we were to get into a situation now, like the AAC is into, and uh, looking at expanding the AAC just to twelve, really is one idea they have. And as you and I just said, they can go to sixteen if they. So choose one of the benefits of going to 16 to me, and we're just talking about the sport of football, would be to gain more access into the college football playoff, have potentially more teams into the New Year's Day 6 and or the CFP, and more money for everybody, and maybe even get a guaranteed spot in an expanded college football playoff because if you took five more teams from other group of five conferences, that would really weaken 
those other conferences. And if you look at it, uh, you know, there's Boise State being one of them easily. There's a real case to be made that maybe by subtracting from others, that's the true strength of your addition. And it's not as much TV market driven because you got to share so much. Is that a fair analysis? I think it is, Jeff, in terms of a, of a strategy, you know, why, why expand, you know, beyond 12 and does it um, minimize, and let's be specific, does it minimize the conference that is the closest in terms of, of the supremacy in the group of five? I think it's clear that over the past seven, eight years, it's been the American Mountain West, Mountain West American. And, and if, if expansion, if American expansion were to eliminate the Mountain West as a, as a competitor, uh, you know, perhaps the, the CFP would, or perhaps the American would put themselves so far ahead of the other four conferences that it would be a, an easier uh, decision by the CFP to, to add the American as, you know, Mike has campaigned as the, as one of the power six conferences. So last ad, Carl, about uh, this type of configuration, because it comes down to schools wanting to grow their budgets, schools wanting better TV money. And then sometimes they, they talk about conference distributions. And I don't know that there's enough conversation that's in, easy for everybody to digest. But when you look at a school like Boise State, who their budget, comparatively speaking, would be in the middle of the American. And it's probably even in the middle of the Mountain West now. I don't with, with the pandemic, everything's going to change. Uh, but it's, it's certainly struggling along. Um, isn't the best way to get sustainable sort of passive income like a rental property these tv receipts and then the other kinds of conference distributions you can get from new year's day six or cfp or how do you pitch yourself as that commissioner that you can provide more money for a school well i think that that when you do the financials it it definitely has to has to uh you have to be able to monetize it and and you have to do your pro formas that that would uh would allow the current membership of the American to be not just whole, but to increase. And people have asked me many times, can a 16 team league work? In today's environment, can a 16 team league work? And my answer is yes, if there's enough money to satisfy all 16 members, but more importantly, are all of the current members are all the current members on board and totally committed back in 1994 the 10 presidents that were in that room in salt lake city making the decision it was not unanimous that there was support and that there was there were reservations from the get-go by byu by utah that this is not a this is not a good deal for us, mm-hmm. and it ultimately led to BYU and Utah spinning off and the Mountain, Mountain West creating. So, you know, is there enough money, and is everybody on board and and going to make it work? And um, you know, right now the American knows what their what their television you know deal is. COVID does, I think, Jeff, throw a little wrench into this because you know has has ESPN taken a 
you know, taken a hit here in the last nine months? Yes. Yes, they have. And uh, so it's not as if they're, everybody always thought that ESPN had, you know, had, uh, you know, had big buckets and that uh, deep pockets, but uh, they are probably not in a position today to, to go out and, and, you know, throw their money around, like perhaps they've been accustomed to doing that they will be more diligent and more prudent. So is there money there? And that's, I think that's the bottom line. Is there money there? All right. Last ad, Carl, uh, you're a former Boise state, uh, baseball player, coach, graduate, uh, Boise state's now hired a new athletic director, Jeremiah Dickey, and he comes in from Baylor and uh, has a great demeanor. It appears to most people who've come in contact with him. You probably know him better through academic or a- athletic circles. Uh, forecast his impact on what it may be at Boise State and uh, the opportunities or challenges that he's going to face here in the short term. Well, I think the, the one thing that I like is that he has some, you know, he has some roots, uh, you know, in the, in the Mountain West footprint. He, he grew up in, in El Paso and got his first job, you know, back in the days when UTEP was, was in the way. That's right. And so I think that, uh, that he certainly knows the history of, of Boise state and at least lived it to some extent being in the, in the region. So I think that was a big, a big plus, um, you know, he's, he's, he's grown up in the business. He, he is totally, um, you know, he did, he's, he's not an outsider. Uh, he's earned his, he's, he's earned his spurs from, you know, UTEP to Akron to Houston to, to Baylor and now to Boise State. So I think he's 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 definitely earned earned the spot. Um, he's a he's a fundraiser by trade, and and that's a that's an important ingredient for I think for for Boise State and, and others right now. And uh, I, I like his I like his energy. I like his demeanor. I like his approach. Uh, I think he's a he's a very very good fit. Thank you so much, Carl. Happy New Year to you. Likewise, Jeff. All right. Thanks once again to Carl Benson for his thoughts, not only on Jeremiah Dickey, the new Boise State Athletic Director, but, uh, of course, on this uh, 16-team idea that we could have 16 teams in conferences. So that's it. The Kingdom of Pod, all the details on Andy Avalos. Of course, more coaching staff fires to be made over the coming weeks and week. And we'll keep you posted here on the Kingdom of Pod on the Believe Podcast Network. Please rate, review. And follow everything on the Kingdom of Pod. You can find it at kingdomofpod.mailchimpsites.com where you can subscribe. I'll even email it to you on a weekly basis. Thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.